my mind to live in memories of the lowsome times. Hey everybody, this is Ian from the Inciting oh, Moment podcast, and uh, here we are today to talk about um, some art. Absolutely uh, majestic. Who else here is with me? Hi, I'm Sam, and unfortunately, I have to go down to St. James Infirmary. So if they ask, I got the blues. I'm James. <laughs> I can't be clever with this, so I'm just here. Hi. I'm Scott. Uh, come on, I mean, James is the clever one, so we're fucked. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's his contribution to the whole cast. He, he's the clever one that comes in with, like, the conversational red pills that nobody thought about. Wonderful. He's got, like, the, the three brain cells that actually work. Mm-hmm. That's all he really needs, just three. Well, to counteract that, uh, not to toot my own horn, but electrifying intro. Oh, yeah, lightning in a bottle. Right. We have some uh, sad news that originally I debated whether we wanted to or not because of just how uh, unfortunate of uh, circumstances re uh, revolve around it. But frankly... I have some strong words about the situation itself uh, that I figured should be shared. And uh, that situation is regarding the fatal shooting that occurred on the set of a recent film called Rust. I have no idea what the movie is about, and frankly, I don't think we will find out what it's about because uh, production on it has halted in Definitely due to the fact that Alec Baldwin inadvertently shot the director of photography for the film, uh, as well as injuring the director. Yes. Now, um, a, a lot of details haven't fully been released to my knowledge, but from my understanding, Alec Baldwin himself is just as surprised as everyone else that this uh, event occurred. As far as he was aware, he was given a prop gun filled with blanks and was not expecting to hurt anyone. Yeah, I mean, can you? I can't imagine what he's going through at the moment. Is he's technically the one who shot the guy or chip? My bad. It there was a also, woman. Yes. There were also apparently I read last night about it that he, someone uh, shouted uh, "cold gun" as he handed it to Alec Baldwin. Cold gun now, which uh, means it doesn't have live, uh, live ammunition. So blanks or actual rounds. A hot gun, if I'm not mistaken, is a gun filled with blanks. Right, Ian? Yes. Uh, and apparently, with some more details that came out regarding the situation, it turns out that uh, this was only one example of just complete negligence during the production of the movie. Really. Yeah, apparently Rust is a kind of production that I haven't heard about in terms of, like, just how much chaos was going on and just poor management, really. Uh, the, the, the thing about it was apparently it was a movie that was trying to keep as small of a budget as possible, which right off the bat, I just want to say... Whoever had the idea to hire Alec Baldwin to come on for such a small movie, bit of a stupid move right there, because he's already going to jack up the budget. Why mm -hmm. you had to sell it with him, I have no clue. Um, but, because of that, 
and how they are being overly conscious of the budget, they were actually starting to replace crew members with non-union, you know, engineers and uh, crew members. Basically people that uh, can do the same job, but for half the price and not as many of the uh, upsides to having, you know, actual unionized members on set. And for the crew members that were not being replaced, they were constantly talking about how they do not feel safe because production was being rushed, precautions were not being taken, and uh, as it turns out, when cold weapons were called in uh, two other situations, turns out Alec Baldwin's stunt double was actually uh, given cold weapons and was told, oh yeah, they're cold. However, they still discharged uh, rounds. Granted, they were blanks, but the thing is, is that you still need to be on top of that stuff because blanks, even though they don't have an actual round, depending on how you are framing the scene and how you block the actors with these weapons, you still need to be careful because they can still fatally injure people. No, blanks are very... uh... Well, I don't want to say very dangerous, but like with with being mishandled, they very much can kill. Like they're still loaded with gunpowder, regardless of whether or not they're supposed to be fatal. Yeah, such as on the set of The Crow when a blank killed Brandon Lee. Mm. And that was that 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 was a situation that people have been bringing up as of recent. It's similar, but frankly, I I find this to just be even worse. Not to so much downplay what happened with that, because that is equally as tragic, but with all the new details about how the production was already so catastrophic and uh, mindless in terms of how they took precautions, all the signs were there for people in charge to say, you know what, we are not being careful enough, we are not having our cast members safe at all they do not feel safe in the slightest they are walking off set because of the conditions they're being put through and yet despite all of that they still continued on with this negligent behavior that it just sounds like a crazy situation either way like uh i only really knew three things about this film uh obviously we're not going to see it now but uh i knew elk baldwin was in it I think it's a Western. It is a Western. I, lo- I have the plot synopsis right in front of me. Uh, and the only other thing I know is another actor, Jensen Ackles, was going to be in it as well, of yeah. Supernatural fame. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And now The Boys. That's, is he in that yet? Yeah, he's in season three. Uh, season oh. three's not out yet. Okay. It's Neat. supposed to be coming out either this year or next year. But, you, like, it didn't seem like that much of a high-profile film, unless we're all just completely blind, uh, despite the fact that Al Baldwin is in it. And now it's getting way more attention than I think even the studios want it to have. It, it's crazy. Like, the, What do you even do? I normally don't say this about people's art, but just the, the entire management of this from what's come out, it, it sounds like a lot of stupid decisions were made. This all added up. Precisely. I feel very offended by, you know, seeing all this happen because, um... Oh, you know what? I don't think I've actually talked about this before. I wish it was under better circumstances. But I am a film school graduate. 
and in my time at film school, uh, I was actually on a few sound stages helping out with uh, other productions, sometimes as a sound mixer, sometimes as a production assistant and all that. Uh, one time, I was a assistant director to uh, somebody that uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie to make a long story short. little difficult to work with, uh, but I did my best. Throughout the shoot, it was supposed to be a closed set, but because um, I had never seen one before or how that's set up, uh, I, I don't know if it was competently closed off. The reason I bring this up is because um, the two actors uh, that were in the uh, film being shot, one of them was only in their boxers and the other... Uh, for most of the scene, uh, just wasn't wearing pants. I think it was in the first 20 minutes of the shoot where I noticed when they were uh, waiting in between uh, takes, these actors, uh, primarily uh, one of them, who was, as I mentioned, only in their boxers, were sitting off to the side in, in these chairs, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, I, that... that that really doesn't seem right. You're 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 having your actors sit on the side, uh, not fully clothed, with like thirty people walking around them for God knows how long today. Uh, most of these shoots would sometimes go for like uh, seven to eight hours, and then on top of that, they're not even wearing shoes. So for all we know, there might be a piece of equipment or little shards of something on the ground. I th I just kept thinking about this. I'm like. That's not right. I, I should probably ask if they're okay or like if they're comfortable, if there's anything I can do. And I did. And I asked, hey, do, do you want me to go get your shoes? Do you want like uh, your your coats so that you're not <laughs> sitting here uh, only half clothed most of the time? And uh, for some reason, the director took issue with me directly going to them and asking them and not going to him first. But I made it a priority. Whole can of worms that I'll just not really go into detail about. It was frustrating. But um, safety. Safety is something that I realized sometimes goes unnoticed and not considered all the time. Considering this was supposed to be a quote-unquote professional film, in the case of Rust, I will once again say this was incompetently handled and managed. That something like this could even happen on a movie like this. I mean, I guess either way, like th this film is not being made like all the, the work that people put in and all the stuff that people had to endure is now just kind of null and void. Cause uh, you know, even if they try to pick this up again, it's going to go down as the movie where someone got shot. I'm not even sure if Alec Baldwin would want to finish it. They would have exactly. to recast him. That's what I mean. Like, even if they tried again, maybe like a few years later with a different cast, like it's always going to have the stigma now. There's no way that they can have the same people who are responsible for like making these decisions uh, come back. They they would have to have to find a completely new line of people, people that are actually proven to be mindful of this kind of stuff. Because I mean, I I was looking up how far back a lot of these safety precautions for firearms in, you know, motion pictures are uh, set up. Uh, and apparently they were set up all the way back in, like, the mid-'80s, uh, somewhere between, like, 1986 or 87. So, I mean, 
how all these years later something like this happened it it's just uncalled for like th this just shouldn't happen on a film of this level honestly like mm -hmm. there's a lot of responsibility that goes into making sure that everything goes smoothly and the fact that something like this slipped through the cracks it it just absolutely pisses me off yeah i get that i'm just reading about the armorer who was in charge of the props and a report says well she is an experience this was her first big movie okay it says and this is a report. The inexperienced armorer in charge of weapons on set of Alec Baldwin's movie Rust had given a gun to an 11-year-old actress without checking properly for safety. Wait, what? Why? Gutierrez Reed's alleged mis misstep happened on the set of the upcoming Nicolas Cage film The Old Way and temporary halted filming. She was reloading the gun on the ground where there were pebbles and stuff. One source told the outlet, we didn't see her check it. We didn't know if something got in the barrel or not. Gutierrez Reed reportedly handed the gun to the child actress Ryan Kiera Armstrong, forcing concerned crew members to intervene. The report said the gun was then checked for barrel obstruction, according to sources. Yeah, so there's just a lot of mismanagement and people not like looking over their shoulders here. That's dangerous. Yeah. Very. Very. So it's just like I'm saying. They, they they didn't go with someone for a movie like this that has kind of been doing this for a while. They went with someone who's sort of new to it and inexperienced because they probably have a lower rate. Yeah, right. honestly, if there are any future productions that involve using firearms, hopefully uh, going forward... People will look at this and say, okay, so we need to make sure that we do better than that. No, definitely. Mm -hmm. This is not the first time this happened, but this might be the most high-profile time it's happened. Mm -hmm. You can only look to the future. Speaking of the future. Yes, speaking of the future, a, a slightly more optimistic future? I wouldn't go that far. Maybe. <laughs> Well, we'll discuss that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're uh, we're gonna go straight, straight into our uh, recommended um, film this week. One that uh, I got some words about. Both good, but also kind of bad. But we'll 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 go into that. Uh, Sammy okay. boy, do you mind telling us what this film is and why you picked it? This movie is. The 2001 uh, animation, obviously, anime movie called Metropolis, based off the manga of the same name, Metropolis, from, what's second, I, I forgot his name. Oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed. Uh, based on Osamu Tezuka's 1949 manga of the same name. Uh, and for those who don't know, Osamu Tezuka was the guy who did Astro Boy. Mm -hmm. The very basis of this movie is there's this this almost like city state called Metropolis in which it's, it's a very futuristic city, which, you know, they have robots and whatnot, but it, it, while it is very technically advanced, the city has some problems of its own, mostly to do with political factions and the treatment of these robots. Now, I don't want to give too much away, but the very basis of it is this boy Kenichi goes to Metropolis with his uncle 
who is a detective looking for a certain mad scientist who's known for the legal activities. And let's just say, chaos ensues. The wacky adventures in this futuristic city that has no sadness whatsoever. Definitely not a dark oh, movie at all. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, not at all. Very cheery. Happy I mean, all look, the way. It's the guy from, you know, Astro Boy. You know, Astro Boy, the guy with guns in his butt cheeks. <laughs> no. He does There's that. no way this could be a, a uh, you know, a reflection of the problems of today's societies and society structures. No, no way. No. I fucking love this movie. It's a very good movie, but this is, I mean, that's the basis of it. We'll, we'll mm. continue with further discussion, but I'm I'm interested in what you guys think before I right, start ranting. Right. Well, uh, Sam, uh, what was the reason that uh, of all uh, movies you went with this one? Um, I guess you could say it's a, it's a dream fulfilled. Like I discussed in the last oh. episode, how you know I, I didn't even know if this movie really existed until uh, a bud of mine named Paul's like, "Hey, man, you want to watch this movie called Metropolis?" I'm like. Metropolis. It sounds familiar. What the hell is that about? Then I saw the cover. I'm like, wait, man, you know that chick looks familiar. I'm like, holy shit, that's that's that movie I watched when I was five years old in my older brother Mitch's room. That thing, that's real. That was a thing. So it was really cool experiencing the waking up of the stream into a reality that is Metropolis. Yeah, when 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 you talked about that last episode, I, I was sitting there going, God damn, that's actually kind of poetic. <laughs> Oh yeah, you really. <laughs> I have my you're, moments. You're you're sitting here going, "Oh God, I I thought it was a dream all this time, and and here it is in front of me." Still like a dream, like tableau. What? And also, yeah, I I, I just want to share it with you guys to prove even further it exists. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, really, um, when you think about it, because there's quite a few big names involved with the uh, production of this movie, uh, mainly with like producers and animators, um, to where it's just like th this is kind of an anime enthusiast's dream. Uh, it has a surprisingly large budget for uh, in comparison to most other anime films. Uh, the animation itself is. It's superb, it's very good. especially in character uh, expression, and it's just adapting, you know, work from essentially what many people considered to be uh, the, the Walt Disney of anime, uh, Osamu Tezuka, and stuff like that. I mean, it's just impressive to see that something like this was made. Um, and if I, you know, had to elaborate on my general thoughts. Overall, I enjoyed my time thoroughly with this. The eye candy of this film. No, you know what? Not even eye candy. Because I don't even think that does it justice. No, the art of this film is fantastic. There is not just attention to detail. There is craftsmanship, if I had to put a word to it, in this film. Especially with the background illustrations um like mm -hmm. i mentioned earlier one of my absolute favorite parts of this which is something that in like a lot of uh anime shows i'm rather critical of um the character animation mainly with like their facial expressions and how they actually visually communicate what they're feeling or thinking is amazing and just the style of it all with like the uh, uh art design and 
the full picture really it just comes together it's visually stimulating it is just moving in areas you know mm-hmm. where you just want to just sit on one of these frames of like these cityscapes or like these areas that characters are standing in and you want to frame it. It, it it's the same kind of stuff that i like about studio ghibli films you know you you, you want it to be like a painting on your wall sometimes with just how much clear effort went into just this one shot and that carries out throughout the whole film honestly now sadly for as much as i do like the art direction this is one of those films kind of like um referencing one of our previous mega sessions actually the same thing that i thought about uh the shadow which is i like it but i wish it was better but I will get into the specifics of uh, some of my, I guess, drawbacks to the, uh, the, the narrative of the film and a little bit in the characters, too. But everybody else, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, first off, the, the way that they, uh, just for general thoughts, obviously, the way they, uh, they, they rendered the cityscape the way that they uh, set up the lore of how this whole world functions and how this whole place is built and uh, the character designs in general, it, it really draws you in. Like These character designs are very colorful, very cartoony. It, it's like you're watching Popeye characters you know, walking around and doing their thing. But mm-hmm. that's juxtaposed so nicely with like the... The, the, the seedy underbelly, like, all the, the, the weird shit that's going on behind closed doors. And, like, not even closed doors. Like, you have these cutesy, again, Popeye characters walking around, but then suddenly they pull out an AK-47 and just gun down robots in the middle of crowded streets. And, like, you're hit with the most fascinating tone I've ever really seen in a film. of Just, like, you kind of kind of watch on the end of your seat wondering what's going to happen next who what what are they going to do everything is always in motion but it's not frantic you, you know what i mean mhm um i i very much enjoyed this movie in fact uh just due to the aesthetics alone i i took a bit of initiative upon myself and also for this recording even though we may not talk about it in depth watched uh a, a film I believe the manga itself was slightly inspired by. The 1927 black-and-white silent film Metropolis. That was, a, I believe, a German film. Yes. Uh, and there are some parallels that I might get into when we get deeper under the surface. It is my great shame to admit that I have not watched the original Metropolis. I meant to, but with my busy schedule, I forgot. I do not blame you. That is a two-and-a-half-hour-long film. But I, I have done a little research on it, so I may be able to contribute when you do talk about that section. All right. We'll okay. we'll compare notes we when we get in there then. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's all I can really say without getting into specific moments. So, Scott, why don't you take it away with your thoughts? I like this movie. <laughs> okay. I like it a lot. Um, I thought a lot of the characters were really well acted, um, especially Rock. He is my favorite. Rock and die in a hole. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> He is 
he's oh he's something else rocky's great <laughs> um now unfortunately i couldn't really see all of the details you were talking about ian because i watched it on anime haven <laughs> and really well, well you watched it on a quality what? anime haven oh oh yeah that is the problem with the movie uh there are no streaming services that uh offer you know, easy to access and also, you know, um, legal means of watching this movie, which if I could say something is a bit of a crime. Oh yeah. I couldn't find the dub of this film. I assume most of you watched. I watched it dubbed. I had to watch it subbed. Hmm. I heard Steve Bloom's dulcet tones. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was surreal to hear the, you know, the voice actor for Spike in there as an old man. I like Shunsaku a lot. <laughs> I loved Duke Red, Big Nose Man. He was also okay. one of my favorites. Yeah, that is one thing about the uh, because it's the from the uh, mangaka of you know Astro Boy. Some of the some of the characters are very characterized. You know what I mean? This is a good movie yeah. for noses. A very yeah, good movie for noses. If you have um, a thing for yeah. noses, by all means, check this out. You'll have a, a blast. You could stand under the Red Duke's no- nose as an umbrella. That's how powerful it is. <laughs> I'd be surprised if uh, he isn't the vulture in whatever future version of Spider-Man we get I, in like five years. He can oh. smell the water table during a drought. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that's, that's how, that's oh, how insane he is. That could also be a bludgeoning weapon when you really look at it. I was eat- I really enjoyed because I have a lot of time in these kind of movies discerning certain characters and i really have a problem with that in this i could actually tell who was who fair um and uh the story was really good too um had a very solid beginning middle and end in my opinion Mm. okay yeah that that's that's what i think i like the characters that was my favorite part of this movie well if I had to start anywhere, since now we can transition into the nitty-gritty, obviously I had said before that uh, the art direction and everything, just full circle, mm, no problems with that, honestly. Absolutely. Not with the character designs, not with the background illustrations, not with how uh, the city's laid out. Everything just looks superb and has this excellent sense of texture and atmosphere especially when you uh transition from the upper levels with the polished cityscape uh and then when you go further down into the underbelly of the city where things get a little more uh gritty and worn down and stuff like that um very nice change of pace the world building is really neat in terms of uh where robots have their place in areas Quite literally, they if they leave, they get shot. Yes. <laughs> leave their zone. Yes. I do have one question for you, fellas. How did you guys feel about the soundtrack of the film? Because this was a movie that I think the, the, the soundtrack is deserving of uh, a little bit of discussion. I thought it was, I, like, I loved it. I love the, 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 peri- the, the, the period pieces of oh, St. Yeah. James right. Infirmary. And I, oh, gosh, I can't remember the song at the end. The, uh... uh Oh, I can't stop loving you. I can't stop loving you. I loved it. Is that the is that the song that played uh, at the very end 
uh, mm. when everything went to shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. That Obviously, was... we'll go into scenes like that with us. Uh, right. 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 Yes, right. that just... is the song that plays. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. No, this yeah. is a film that's very much based in like the the 1920s culture and all the like jazzy tunes and stuff. It really sets the atmosphere. I mean, you're seeing like a, a zeppelin flying overhead, and you're just hearing the the big band going, and it gets you going, man. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, specifically, from what I was able to find, uh, they were mainly going for a New Orleans uh, style uh, I could jazz. See that. It's very Jesus. apparent. Yes, very apparent. And uh, if people have a love for that specific flavor of jazz, you'll have a fun time with this. Um, one of my personal favorite pieces was the uh, the the track that plays uh, when those like little fire fire uh, robots start showing up and they're putting mm. out the, the the flames from the uh, the laboratory fire. Then they start building themselves into a bigger robot. Yeah, they assemble uh, yes. the uh, the fire Voltron. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's another thing I loved about this movie was the robot designs. Oh yeah, they're pretty cool. Oh yeah, they they're they're more than just like the blocky silver robots that you see so often. They're very circular, very different. Uh no, it's just like uh, after I watched the movie. Um, and I had some time to like do some side work and all that. I I, I had the uh, soundtrack going, and uh, multiple times actually. Um, and whenever it got to the track where it uh, played during that scene with the firefighter uh, robots, uh, <laughs> the the beat of the track I just couldn't help. But imagine the the robots like just bopping around and like bumping down the uh, stairs as they're going like, okay, let's go, let's go. Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a good piece, and frankly, a lot of the soundtrack work was uh, very fitting. Um, and once again, just further enforced the atmosphere of the uh, of the city. Um, but I think. If I had to kind of go into why I, for as much as I did like this movie, I have issues with it. It's really two big reasons, and uh, by the end of it, when I was just kind of feeling like, man, something just doesn't feel right. Like, I'm enjoying my time, but certain moments, they they just don't feel like they're hitting as hard. And then I I, I finally sort of realized it. And and the two things that I I guess I had problems with was um, the focus of the story and, oddly enough, uh, the the character... I don't want to say interactions. I think the dynamics, the relationships and stuff like that. And where I say the focus of the story... I think a lot of it comes down to asking, well, what is the story about? Because there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of plot threads in this movie that uh, some of them I I don't think really should have been there. I, I feel that if it was willed down to two or three of the plot threads, I, I think it would have made for a more... Uh, concise story. Uh, for one thing, considering how uh, one of our protagonists, being the uh, the the robot uh, the the robotic girl, 
Tima and how she's all over the place on like posters and promotional material for the movie, if you look it up. I was going in thinking, oh, so 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 the heart of the movie is going to be between her and uh, the other protagonist, uh, Kenichi. And I guess I was just surprised when I found that, no, not really. In fact, what I felt this movie was lacking were more scenes or even like longer scenes that actually build their sense of friendship and uh, supposed love and stuff like that because really yeah i okay. i i thought that their relationship and their their chemistry i think needed more time i think it needed to be developed more uh, because that. by the end of it i i mean uh the, the ending of the film which we'll go into in a little bit it's definitely the most emotional part of the movie and I, I felt something in that, but I didn't think it hit as hard as it should have. And when I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I I think they needed more scenes together. And they needed more meaningful scenes to build this sense of connection. Because frankly, by the end of it, that's what I felt was lacking. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned that. I didn't really get that. I feel like the time they spent together kind of justified all of the emotions they were throwing out between one another and i can't get into specifics without getting into spoilers especially near the ending but no it, it's interesting you took that away um because i i think that it it did kind of accomplish what you say it did um, yeah but i don't want to dominate the conversation do, do you guys have anything else to add to that <clears throat> so I can see where you're coming from, especially with the, the mixing of ideas of what this movie is about, message-wise. And I think uh -huh. this part, uh, this mostly comes into play because this movie does veer off from the original manga quite a bit. And, and way more from the original 20s movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, let's, let's make that clear. Uh, frankly, aside from a few similar plot points that the movie incorporates... Uh, this Metropolis and the 1927 uh, Metropolis are related only in name and general concept. Yes, but uh, Sam, you were making a point. I mean, granted, I did not watch the original Metropolis. And uh, please feel free to connect, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, James. Yes. Uh, I feel like it has quite a bit in com more in common with the, the movie, uh, the original 1927 movie, than the original manga did um, by a fuck ton isn't like it has more in common with the original 1920 movie than the, like i said the, the manga itself did and i think okay. this really has more to do with the themes in the movie especially with that of classism yeah because that was one big thing that um i not only uh, read about online but also uh discussed in a uh, film history class I had in uh, college where that was a big theme in the original uh, 1927 film. You know, it's kind of funny, um, now that we're talking about comparing the films, one thing I noticed that kind of surprised me is the anime film kind of has the entirety of the 1927 film in a microcosm of just a couple scenes. <laughs> 
it, it from what I've seen, it, it does. And granted, it, it makes sense, especially since it's a 1920s movie, that it would have something to do with uh, you know, classism, because it's 1927 in Germany, that's when the Weimar Republic's in full swing. So, I mean, c classes and whatnot, and social classes were, you know, still, I and mean, they still are a big topic, but especially back then. And so seeing it translated into the movie makes me think, uh, into the new 2001, newer 2001 animated film, makes me think much more of the 1927 movie than the mangaka itself. Oh, yeah, the original film is about, I, I mean, it's also about a large city, but essentially it focuses mostly on the... Uh, the underbelly of the city, which you see very briefly in this film as well, where it's all about the workers kind of living day to day in just horrible living conditions. Like, they they make uh, parallels of them throwing away their bones and blood for the machines to keep running. Uh, there's even imagery of, like, the worker, like, foremans ushering people in in, like, droves to literally throw themselves into the gears of the machines just to grease them up. And it, they're treated, weirdly enough, like how the robots are treated in this one, despite the fact there's only one robot in the original, and that is where uh, uh, Tima's place takes place. Uh, mm -hmm. Although she is much more antagonistic in this one. Or in that one, rather, not this one. Mm -hmm. Like, from the beginning... Yeah, it's, I mean, we, we'd see this, we, I mean, we vividly, we're probably a good uh, part to say, hey, uh, spoilers, motherfuckers, watch this movie. Like, yeah. Right now, the we'll scene wait, where yeah, they, we'll wait for you to watch this movie. We'll give them an hour and a half, two hours. The yeah, scene honestly. where they meet all the human workers, and then, like, they stage their worker rebellion just to get gunned down, That that's, that's the movie. By that's the, the 27 classes. movie, like, in its entirety. I mean... Yeah, I mean, heck, there's even, I guess you could say, there's even class warfare in between the robots and the humans in the 2001 movie, because they both live in the squalor, and they're not allowed to go beyond their respective zones. So the And just like the robots are gunned down if they leave their zone, the same thing happens to the human workers who are revolting, led by the uh, a man, the uh, revolutionary named Atlas. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of similarities there, a lot of... Uh, uh, parallel lines. Now, while this differs, the the 1927 one, the the robot woman whose name is Maria, not Tima, is the one inciting them to take up arms, and she's doing it purely to cause chaos. Like, there's a lot of references to the false prophet uh, from the Bible, the Whore of Babylon, mm -hmm. which, which is also referenced in the 2001 movie, where he says, "Yeah, no, the cigarette is." Very similar to the Tower of Babylon. Yes, that's a very uh, prevalent theme in both. Uh, but no, going back to the anime film, it again, it, it differs quite a bit after that point. The robots uh, are not human. They can be rebuilt when they're destroyed, and that kind of... I don't know, they, they don't dive as deep into that, I feel. Yeah, the funniest right. thing is we see the most violent acts against the robots. We see them being torn apart by bullets, as though they don't matter. You know, as a, as though them spilling their "quote unquote" blood, less oil, is not something that should be oh, censored because yeah. they're not human. Which is a big theme, not only in just the movie Terrible, but especially the character Rock. Well, Rock is crazy. Yeah, we Rock. we have to talk about Rock specifically. Yeah, let's just, let's let's uh, let's Marduk dive a little bit peoples. into that little shithead. <laughs> Rock is 
awesome. He he's my favorite character in this film. Same. For all the worst reasons. Uh, um, yes, yes. So, he is a character I love to hate. A little background: The Rock is is the uh, the adopted son of the Red Duke, which is essentially the main protagonist of the film, and mm. is treated like shit. Like the Red Duke basically does say to him, "You are not my son. Do not call me father. I picked you up after the war. You are an orphan. You work for me. That's it." When it was treated almost exactly as the robots are, but when Rock is treated like this, he he almost takes it. The way the Rock, I think, what Rock represents is humanity's worst, because he is the epitome of the Red uh, of the uh, Marduk Party, which is this political faction and terrorist organization for the most part, who see these robots as lesser, as things to be destroyed when they get out of line, as you know, the bodies to grease the wheels and the machine and that's it. And they will mm-hmm. mercilessly hunt down these robots. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 unre- he's unrepenting. He's unforgivable. And holy shit, he does not stop. Oh, no, no. He never stops. He is 100% dead set on being the most unpleasant person in this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate he's so, like... Uh, tunnel visioned toward his goal that he himself is almost like a machine. Like the way he mm-hmm. moves, the way oh, he interacts yeah. with people. It, it's all... He he says, you know, like, he's fighting for humanity. Well, he's not fighting for humanity, but like, he's... He clearly looks down on the robots, but he basically is one. Oh, he's cold? He's He never sympathizes or considers you know the needs of others or like how they're impacted. No, he's, he's dead set on just doing whatever the hell he wants and completing Uh, his mission. And he has the most fascinating character trait I've ever seen in a minion, which is more loyal to his superior than his superior wants him to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly. Uh, Cause it'd be a disservice to talk about rock without also explaining his connection to Tima. Yeah, so Tima being a, a remade version of the Red Duke's daughter, originally called Tima. His biological and, daughter. Yes. So, obviously, spoiler alert, Red Duke ended up making this uh, robot Tima in order to sit at the throne on the top of Ziggurat to control basically the super weapon that was on top of Ziggurat. Again, spoilers. Big ones, just little ones. <laughs> basically what he originally made her to do was to be this impartial judge for the uh, nations of the world that will basically zap any countries to get out of line and cause violence well, what, the problem with it is after what she experiences throughout the film of humans being awful to robots of humans fighting each other betraying each other especially from Rock being the worst example Oh, absolutely. When she, when she, it is her time to sit upon the throne, she does not do it in impartialness, but almost human-like, but only the worst part of it. What she learned from Rock, what she learned from the Red Duke, what she learned from the revolutionaries getting massacred in the movie. She takes that as a lesson that humanity should be destroyed because it is. It's already destroying itself and everything around it. It is the natural thing to do. And I love. And so when she being... sits upon this, this, this throne of Babel, she decides... Is she? It becomes humanity's uh, judge, jury, and executioner, and deems them unworthy for life, and thus begins to basically fire off all the nukes. Or attempts to, 
Yeah. I appreciate the moment that kicks that off is her essentially meeting her God, her creator, the one that, you know, said, you know, this is why you exist. And he, he's like, oh yeah, you're, you're this tool that will create an age of like, you know, prosperity for man. And all she wanted to be was a person. Mm-hmm. For, throughout the film, she'd ask herself, who is she? What is she? That's why she gets along with Kenichi. He's like the only one when his uncle kind of, they don't get a lot of time together, but they're the only ones that treat her like their own individual. Even her dad, who has these grand plans for her, is basically seeing her as a, a tool, a key mm-hmm. to be turned. And where Rock represents the worst in humanity in terms of like the relations with the robots in general, it's really Kenichi and his uncle that represent the best in it because they always treat the robots as though they're fellows, as they're equals throughout the entire film, as though they're the individuals. And you see that in their interactions with these robots because they bring out almost like the best in the robot, especially with the, uh, the uh, junk bot. And that in the end is what saves the day because he attempts to bring out the best in Tima when the shit gets down. He's the one that takes her from that chair, you know, takes her from being the, the, the executioner of mankind. <laughs> no, that's why I feel I have to disagree with your sentiment, Ian, on how they didn't have enough time together. It's more due to the fact that Kenichi so openly treats Tima like a person while everyone else treats her as an object or something to like be put forward on a pedestal more than just an individual that really sells their relationship. No, I get that. But the thing is, is that I see that more as like, uh, like good character work on the part of Tima and how her place in the story is rather than like the actual work on the relationship itself. I suppose that's fair. It could be given more time. Yeah, I, I, I just think uh, with how much focus was on all other things going on, some of it could have been condensed or cut out entirely so that there's more time for their stuff to breathe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, like, it's a Metal Gear Solid too. There's a lot going on. Thinking about it, uh, I, I think I did like the dynamic between um, Kenichi's uncle and uh, Mr. Uh, Robo... Inspector Detector uh, Piro. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be honest. I called him Nick Valentine for the entire watch. Dude, I did I not remember his name. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you. Yeah. But uh, Scott, any final thoughts? Um, I I agree with you, Sam. I'm I'm pretty agreeable. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On which topic? So. Uh, just the fact, like that there are a lot of like the tower of babel references and basically i don't know anything about the original film so i'm basically just going off what you guys are saying i'm I'm gonna be honest i probably wasted my time with it it is way longer than it needs to be it takes a long time to get going and it really has barely anything to do with this film gotcha i mean i didn't think so because one is a german film the other's a japanese manga yeah i think a lot of the okay you know what? That's a debate for later. I lost but my no. train of thought. <laughs> so, would you guys... Oh, uh, real quick, actually, before we, we finish off here and do our final thoughts, have you guys... you Have you all seen the after-credits scene? Oh, no. No, oh, this is something... There's an after-credits? Sam brought up to us. Yes. Yeah. 
So it, it, it took me a little bit of research, believe it or not, but not every version of the movie has the after credit image. And what the after credit image is, is it's a, just a, like a, an old fashioned picture, an old timey picture of a workshop called Tima and Kenichi's workshop. And it's a, a picture of the supplies being delivered to this workshop and you see both Kenichi and Tima. So it's almost like a oh. little extra happy ending. Right, because actually, what? Why don't we go into that? We we were referencing, especially with the uh, intro I did. Uh, we were referencing the ending of the film a little yes. bit uh, in the climax, especially when Tima actually sits on the ziggurat and is essentially going to go through with wiping out humanity. Can't blame her after looking through our browser history. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that that that's a lot of that's a lot of ooh. <laughs> um, no, but Kenichi uh, attempts to literally rip her off the uh, the seat to the ziggurat, and uh, it culminates in this moment where, uh, and I was kind of at this point going like, ah, okay, I know we have to have this sequence, but not quite sure what the reasoning for it is uh tima is attacking kenichi uh she is in full annihilation mode perhaps because uh human i want to wipe out humans uh i'm gonna kill you now um but they're on these like steel beams outside of the uh, ziggurat and the whole place is going down because rock sets the place to uh blow up sky high his final act Yes, his what final legend. act. What a legend. He is so loyal to this father that robots can't kill him, he has to. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he, his only problem is that his father is not the one control of the ziggurat. Like, it's crazy. <sighs> He's a yandere. Oh, yeah. Anyway, oh, you, saying... uh, you know what? When you put it like that, that is what he is. No, but um, Rock, he sets the place to self-destruct. It starts blowing up sky high. And this is, of course, when the film hits easily one of its most memorable parts. And probably when the emotional highs are at their peak, I will say. When uh, the track I Can't Stop Loving You begins playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, by good old Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, not that. on the original soundtrack of the movie. No, and I was like, why not? I know, right? I I guess licensing, I don't know. know. It is a very famous song. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, it it all culminates where uh, Tima's about to fall off the steel beams, and uh, I think you guys can agree with me. She she essentially starts to remember the, the good in humanity that she she got through um kenichi specifically because he's going out of his way to rescue her yes exactly exactly i guess you could even say it's it's maybe not even the good but the identity of tima of herself that was formed when she originally had that initial conversation with kenichi and they discussed i am you know the very basics of the language and saying i am you i am you know all that stuff it is really it is as you said ian it is full circle and the fact that there's a happy ending to that after she's fucking eviscerated by the great fall <laughs> uh, yeah happy. that 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 was the thing that then follows uh the wire holding her uh rips and she initially falls to her death 
and the film essentially ends with uh, Kenichi and his uncle looking through the wreckage of the building. And uh, while his uncle leaves Japan, uh, Kenichi stays behind with his uh, robot buddies, uh, which I assume was to still look for Tima, because there's some hope yes. that she's still alive. They yeah. do bring him parts, and I really like that scene. And it's still a good ending, despite you know the, the additional super happy ending at the end, because it is humans and robots working together to fix this in-between. It's them coming together to make this like almost ideal. And I, I, plus, that that scene with her falling is like the pinnacle of what I remember when I was in that room. Is her like half robot? I was scared. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I could definitely but, see how that could like jump at you. As uh, you said, you were pretty young when you watched that the first time. Mm-hmm. That's some powerful imagery. Yeah, it that, really. Is. Th- there's just only so much I can say, Sam. That that is actually kind of poetic that a scene you know, like that is what you remember and actually thankfully i wasn't entirely spoiled on everything but uh when i was looking up just some screenshots of the film to get an idea of what its visual identity was one of the first uh screenshots i saw was of tima with her half human half robot face and just the uh the character within it the expression of it I'm like, I, I think I'm going to fully enjoy this. And again, the the fact that initially you thought this was all a dream you had, and then to yes. find out that it is an actual real film that you get yes. to experience all over again, I, it it's actually kind of a moving idea. Yeah, well, I would like to thank you all for uh, joining me on my very long 10 year, fuck, 15, 20 year in the making cycle moment. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing us along for the ride. Honestly, yeah, th- this this is, I'm not going to lie, kind of makes this a uh, little discussion here a little uh, special, frankly. Mm-hmm. And it will only get better so. with the next insightful moment. Speaking of which, I think, it, I believe it's someone else's turn to share there. Yes, and, it is mine. I'm assuming it's full recommendations, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. Very Let's make that well, real clear. Yeah, Recommendations you watch this all movie. around. Watch yes, Metropolis, please watch. motherfuckers. Oh, yes. crazy enough, the studio that worked on it, Madhouse, I think, or Mad Dog, also worked on shit like Red Line and a whole bunch of other movies. Oh, Something they're also cool. responsible for uh, Trigun. Yeah. Uh, another piece of anime media that I would highly recommend people check out. Maybe one of these days, since it's uh, a shorter show... I'd be more than happy to discuss it, but that's for another time. What Mm -hmm. is going to be discussed in the near future is, uh, well, I I, I guess call it plagiarism, I suppose, but Sammy Boy, you had me inspired, and I'm also going to recommend an anime film. Oh. It is one that I think everyone here except Scott has seen at least once, but man oh man... I think we need to discuss it. And also, I believe, much like Metropolis, it deserves some much-needed love. Which, by the way, before I go into that, Metropolis, uh, get it on Blu-ray. It looks fantastic. I am saying that now. Especially because it's not available on most streaming services. Please pick up the Blu-ray. 
Um, I'm not sure if the Blu-ray contains that ending scene uh, in the after credits. I hope so. I would think so. But, you know, I can't confirm that or not. Uh, but no, my recommended movie. Uh, it is a movie that I have revisited many times. And uh, I would like to share with not only you guys, but also anybody listening. Back in the, uh, what some people may consider the heyday of anime, uh, in the 80s, you might already know where this is going, fellas. Oh, uh, no. Some will say the 90s, but I say the 80s. Uh, it is an extravagant, colorful, and ever so memorable sci-fi space opera that could not be more 80s even if it tried. Oh, geez, Ladies wait. and gentlemen, I am, of course, recommending Macross, Do You Remember Love? The time has come, and so the have I. The time has come. <laughs> I, I'm excited for this. Uh, it's a little bit of a cop-out because it is a film that I am very familiar with, but it is also a film that I think we should definitely dig into because for as simple as it may come off i think there's actually quite a bit to uh, say about it also because um there is some uh bad news and good news about it in terms of uh how available it is for north american audiences that we'll mm -hmm. get into um the whole film can be viewed on youtube i recommend you watch the japanese uh subtitled uh one because the English dub is about as good as you can get in the 80s, which is bad. So this is it. This is it. This is the moment that Ian breaks out of his shell to show us the true mech fanboy inside. Oh, yes. That is a, a side of me that I have not expressed enough. I am a big fan of mecha anime. And this... Mmm. You motherfucker. Well, that's and good. So my recommendation is also Mecca. Oh, oh my god, it cool. begins. The lobster has <laughs> come unshelled to reveal the beautiful butterfly inside. That's it, gentlemen. It's it's time to be honest. I think the audience deserves to know. We're weebs. <laughs> oh god. Yes. How we're awful. We are, in weebs. fact, weebs. I mean, we kind of outed ourselves when we were talking about JoJo, I think, twice now. So. No, JoJo is multicultural. Oh, that's of true. Course. That's true. Weebs I mean, don't enjoy JoJo, you know, class enjoys JoJo. High connoisseurs enjoy JoJo. Yes. It is not or for everybody. normal Fantastic weebs. discussion. Bit of a roller coaster of uh, emotions, given what we started with, but frankly, I mean... Oh, this was good. A lot of fun. And again! Go and watch Metropolis through whatever means you can, but preferably just buy it on Blu-ray if you are a fan of anime. Or VHS if you like that classic style. But anyway, that has been our insightful moment. Indeed, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in, and take care. Bye-bye. Adios. B. Bye.